Well, Merry Christmas, Faith Church. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. And for the past uh, few weeks, we have been unwrapping the Christmas story. And, and today, we're going to unwrap it a little differently. And so instead of just one pastor up here uh, preaching, the four of us are going to attempt to tackle it together. This will be interesting. But chances are, you have heard the Christmas story before, right? You have heard how uh, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, right? And you've heard of the shepherds and the angels and the magi and the star. But have you really unwrapped Christmas? Right? Sometimes we assume things are part of the Christmas story, which aren't actually there. And sometimes we get a picture of what the nativity scene should look like, yet we miss some key elements of the story. And so today, we're going to unwrap three things about the Christmas story that we often miss or overlook. And these three elements should profoundly shape how we respond to the Christmas story. And so to catch us up where we are today, for 400 years, there's been silence. Right? God has not sent a prophet. He has not revealed himself to anyone for 400 years. Roughly 16 generations have gone by. And then out of the blue, an angel appears to this young girl named Mary and informs her that she has been chosen by God to bear the Son of God. And so after the angel leaves, she runs and tells her fiancé, However, Joseph doesn't quite believe her at first, and it takes another angel appearing to Joseph saying, no, actually Mary's telling the truth. She is pregnant with the Son of God. And so Joseph agrees to take Mary as his wife, and a little while later, the Roman government comes and says, hey, we need to take a census, and that everyone needs to return to their hometown so that they can be counted. And so Joseph takes his pregnant wife, and goes on a 90-mile journey back to Bethlehem on a donkey. Sounds like the perfect vacation. But it's while they are in Bethlehem that the time has come for Jesus to be born. So sit back and listen to what happens next as we unwrap the Christmas story. Well, the first component that we want to unwrap for you today is that stable and manger scene that we read about in the Gospels. And I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, while they were there, that's Mary and Joseph, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, we have all the movies and the greeting cards and the um, little main nativity scenes that we set up in our home, and I love those. They look so, you know, the manger is, it's rustic, but it's still pretty pristine, right? It's a nice wooden box. It's clean looking. It's on a little stand, has yellow, fresh looking straw in it. The baby's wrapped in a white, soft, you know, muslin, cotton kind of little uh, receiving blanket. Everything just looks, I mean, it's rustic, but it's okay. It, it warms up the heart. And, uh, I just want to give this disclaimer before I go into the rest of this um, portion of the message that 
When I watch a movie or I read a novel, I do not like reality. I'm not a big reality TV fan. I want to escape reality. <laughs> I need a break from reality. And so that's why I think I love those little pictures of the nativity scene, because they're so beautiful and perfect. However, we know that historically, that the Eastern nations 2,000 years ago, that is not what a stable looked like. We know that a manger is just basically a feeding trough, right? <laughs> I grew up on a farm. I didn't grow up on a farm. I, my grandfather had a horse farm, so when I was growing up, I got to go to it. And I know what a feeding trough looks like. It's um, moist. <laughs> it has animal saliva in it. It has hay and pieces of grain in it. It's kind of gross and disgusting. It's not like what you see on the front of a greeting card. And um, I started thinking about this component of the Christmas story, this manger, and what that would have been like. And it made me reflect on when I had my first baby. Because what it actually looked like there 2,000 years ago is not a place where I would have wanted to have given birth or would definitely would have wanted to lay my newborn down into. We know that historically 2,000 years ago, the stable and the home were usually connected. The stable and the area where the animals lived was a little bit lower level. The family was connected to the same, a little bit higher level. But this is not a clean, this is not a sterile, disinfected area. It's not quiet. It's not pristine like what we're thinking of. And it made me reflect on my first, having my first baby. And um, those of you who have had a, a child, especially if you've had more than one, you know that the first one kind of stands out a little bit more because it's all new. And uh, I, I'm a little bit of a neat freak anyways, but I remember like cleaning and scouring every part of my house just things that a newborn baby are never even going to be close to, but you're cleaning it all. I remember washing all of her gowns and her little onesies and laying them all out in the sheets. And I remember also that I had this bassinet, you know, the kind that you have the white lace that goes to the floor and it has the hood and it's just beautiful. And it's like, um, it reminded me of Sleeping Beauty, you know, that little bassinet. And it was next to my side of the bed and everything was just right when I had this baby. And uh, I remember also taking her to church when she was like less than two weeks old. And there was uh, a family there, a mom, and she had four little children. Three of them were boys. One was a little girl. They were all very small. She asked if she could come over and spend some time <laughs> with, my, uh, with my, my mom. I was living with my mom at the time because my husband and I were building a house and it wasn't done. So we were all living with my mom and dad. And so we came... I said, of course, yes, you can come over. We went home to my mom's house. And I just remember, it's still very fresh in my memory. I remember her saying, can I hold the baby? And I was like, yes. <laughs> She's had four by now. So you, all, of the, all of you who, you know, you, you, you get worn down. So I, I give her a lot of grace. But these four children flocked around her as she's holding my first baby their hands are touching her face and rubbing her head. And she's like 10 days old. And I remember looking over and seeing their fingernails were all really dirty of these boys. <laughs> and they're touching my baby. And I literally was like in my head, my stomach, I was like, give me back my baby. <laughs> 
And uh, I didn't do that, and I, I pray that I didn't show that, that I was very gracious because she's a sweet woman. However, <laughs> when she left my mom's home, I remember taking the baby <laughs> and giving the baby a bath and putting all these new clothes on and doing all this crazy stuff. And I have issues, I get that. But <clears throat> as I prepared for this message and I was praying over it, I, re I had those memories of how I just wanted everything like that, just perfect and clean and just pristine. And I thought of what it, reality, what it really was. And then I had the question, it's like, why? Why would our Father God allow his only son, the son that he loved so much, to, be, to take on human flesh, to leave heaven where everything you know, is perfect, come down to where we are, so below him, so beneath him, the creator of the universe to be take on this flesh and then become a helpless, tiny, newborn baby that needed to be handled <laughs> by people who weren't very clean, to be cared for, to, um, to be held, and then laid in a feeding trough? Why would God do that? And the only answer is love, right? His desire to know us to say, you know, Jesus' name means Emmanuel, right? It's, it's God with us. God's saying, you're not so far away. You're not abandoned. Yeah, there's like uh, Pastor Zach was saying, there's been this 400 years of silence, but I am here. I've never left you. And the whole reason that he did that was for restoration. He didn't come with trumpets and feasts and come into a palace. He didn't come as a dictator or a, you know, a soldier, or to strike fear into our hearts. He came as this baby on our level that was dependent on humanity. And I believe it's because he want, our Father God wanted us to know, I love you, I'm ready to meet you where you're at, and it's all about restoration. I want you to know that you're the, my children too, and I want to restore you to your place in the family. There's a scripture that says that um, Jesus is the firstborn among many sons and daughters. That's God's heart for us. And I want to just leave you with this verse. This is 1 John 3, 1. Because this goal, I believe that God's goal with the picture and the way that he, uh, the way that he brought his son into our world was because of family. Um, it's always been about us. It's always been about restoration. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. When you read the Christmas story um, account in Scripture, perhaps you, you, you might be reminded of memories from your childhood or of your own children some, depicting some of these scenes, portraying some of these scenes. The scene where the shepherds are in the fields and the angel comes and appears is one that I would assume is reenacted and read a lot. I mean, children wearing bathrobes with towels wrapped around their heads. I mean, that's kind of entertaining, right? When I was a child, um, my cousins and I had this tradition where we would do this. We would perform these Christmas plays um, for the adults in our family. Now, I never got to be a shepherd, sadly, and maybe you never got to be a shepherd. But what I want you to do in this moment as we unpack the shepherds in this scene is I want you to put yourselves in their shoes, 
Put yourself into what they're thinking and what they're feeling as the angel appears to them. We're going to read from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So here, here we have the shepherds, right? They're minding their own business. They're doing their thing. What They're doing what they're supposed to be doing, keeping watch over their flocks of sheep that they're responsible for. And then this happens. This happens, right? One, one minute, the shepherds, they're talking quietly amongst themselves in the night. And then the next moment, the hillside is ablaze with light, booming with the sound of an angel's voice. I think it's safe to assume that the shepherds were probably overwhelmed with fear and confusion as to what was going on. And as those thoughts and feelings were taking over their mind and their heart, I wondered for a second, when did they begin to hear what the angel was saying? Right, this, this message, this life-changing message that was going to change the world, when did they put aside their emotions? When did they put aside all the things they were trying to figure out and really listen to what the angel was saying? The message of the Messiah being born. The news of the Savior of the world coming to earth. See, the shepherds, the shepherds were at the, the bottom rung of the social ladder. They were the outcasts. They were considered unclean. They were the nobodies. So yes, I'm sure there was fear and there, there was confusion. But I wonder if there was something else too. A feeling of unworthiness. A feeling of not being good enough to hearing to hear the, this life-changing news for the world. Because these shepherds, who are now going to navigate the dark streets of Bethlehem, were not men that regularly, regularly made kingly visits. But God didn't care. That wasn't the heart of God. It wasn't a requirement to, to be a priest or a scholar. They didn't have to have all this information. They didn't have to have all this knowledge. They didn't have to meet all these expectations. God could have chosen anyone, and he chose the shepherds. I think it's a great reminder for us that we don't have to have this certain status or this certain degree or this certain information to tell people about Jesus, right? Our God chooses us and wants us and desires for us to bring glory to his name no matter who we are and to expand his kingdom, even people we might not expect. We keep reading in verse 15. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. 
And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So in the midst of this fear, in the midst of not knowing every detail, no matter if they felt qualified or not, the shepherds went to find Mary and Joseph and the baby, right? It even says they hurried to do it. But not only that, they they spread the word about this child. They spread the word about Jesus and it said that all who heard it were amazed. They were changed. The shepherds were filled with faith and bravery and confidence, not because of anything they had to offer, but because of the message that the king, of the king who brings hope to the world. They didn't allow what everyone else thought or felt to stop them from sharing this message. The Lord was drawing their hearts, and they responded in obedience. Church, I wonder how much our lives would change and how much the lives around us would change if we had the urgency and the confidence that the shepherds did to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I have to apologize. I was a little bit distracted by two things, but this is my third service I've sat through, so give me some grace here. Uh, I don't see any of you sitting through three services, Um, probably for good reasons. Uh, The first one is, Michelle, you used the word moist. Ugh. Is anybody with me where you're like, that is the worst descriptive word. Thank you. I'm not alone. Moist is such a terrible word. No. Strike one. Okay? No more. And then the other thing that was distracting me is as I was sitting over there on the end, I was like, I bet it looks like I'm Buddy the Elf right now, and these are the other elves. Like, just how large I am next to them. Like, relive an elf right now. Man, I apologize. Lord, forgive me. Starting off my section this way. But the final thing that I want to unwrap for you guys for the Christmas ser- or, uh, sermon, Christmas story, is the story around the Magi or the wise men. Now, they're a very mysterious group. They only pop up in Matthew's account of Scripture. And there's so much mystery around them that people just began to make up stuff about these, these, this group that they called the Magi in the Christmas story. And so I'm going to read it for you, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit. And so starting off in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then the story goes on for a little bit, talking about King Herod's response. King Herod was a jealous king. And so when someone comes to him and said, hey, I heard that the king of the Jews has been born, he gets ticked. And he wants to take care of that baby. He wants to kill that baby so that way he can remain being the king. And so he finds out from the different um, people who, who are aware of the, uh, the Jewish prophecies that this king was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so he, he just became aware of that. So let's dive back in into uh, verse 7 here. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me so that I may go and worship him. He's tricking the Magi there. He wants to kill this baby. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, uh, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So there's been a lot of stuff made up about these mysterious characters because that's all scripturally that we know about the Magi. And so people just started making up random stories about them. For instance, they, uh, they decided that there was only three of them. And they only did that because there was three gifts presented, but we have no idea how many Magi there were. In fact, some other historical documents that support this story outside of the Bible, just different uh, documents that people have found that uh, relay the same story, suggest that there's about 12 magi that came. Um, But people said that, hey, let's just say that there's three of them. They even wrote a song called We Three Kings, but they are never, ever mentioned kings. They also named these three, Melchior, Casper, and Balthazar. Again, no names have ever been mentioned about these magi. So what do we know about the magi? Well, one thing that the scripture tells us is, one, they're called magi, and two, they're from the east. And so when we kind of do some research into that, the word magi in Greek, which is what the, this part of the Bible was originally written in, is the word magos. And that means it can be loosely translated to sorcerer or magician. And so these weren't kings. These were philosophers. They were religious leaders from their country. They were sorcerers, magicians. Now, when they say that they're from the East, more than likely, they believe, scholars believe, that the Magi came from Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And so that's where they think the Magi came from. And here's one of the most amazing things to me regarding the Christmas story and the Magi. The leading religion during that time in Persia was astrology, studying the stars, believing that, that, that the gods can speak to them through the stars. And I hope by now you're connecting the dots there. That God used a star to lead a group of astrologists to something better. They led it, or the star led them to Jesus. So what I love about that story is the picture that it paints for us of a God who, who, who doesn't step out of our world, take a step back from us and say, you better come towards me. You better step into my perfect and holy world so you can get to Jesus. No, this is a picture of a God who steps into our stories, our context, step into our world, our understanding of the world to try to lead us to something better, try to lead us to Jesus Now, I want to be crystal clear here. This does not mean that all religions end up at Jesus. That's not what this is saying. What it lets us know is that God spoke their language because he knew I needed to get their attention. I need these people to get to Jesus. 
And so he used their language to study the stars, to lead them to something better, to lead them to Jesus. Now, other historical documents found in this region show that a religion started to form in Persia. A religion spread by a group of of Magi. A a group of of religious folk who, who had an encounter with a baby who they said was the savior of the world now. And a new religion began to, to spread in Persia. And so I want to leave you with this thought. In what ways is God trying to lead you to Jesus? He's not back here saying, hey, come, come on. Like, you better step into my world. No, he wants to speak your language to lead you to better things. So how is he this season leading you closer to Jesus? What does that look like for you? This isn't just a one and done deal where you get one encounter with Jesus and you're out. No, every day he wants to lead you closer and closer to Jesus. How is he doing that this Christmas season for you? And then the last thing I want to leave you with is this question. How does God want to use you to lead someone else closer to Jesus? How does he want to use you as a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, to be that star that leads someone else closer to Jesus? This brings us to our so what moment for today. So what do we do with all of this? Where do we go from here? You see, the Christmas story is simply the beginning of the greatest event to ever happen in the history of the world. It's the beginning of the story of God sending his son who would one day die on a cross but raise again three days later so that we could be with our creator. The Christmas story is this point where Jesus' life intersects ours It's the point where humanity got its first close encounter with the Savior of the world. And so the question for us this Christmas is, how are you encountering Jesus? How are you experiencing him? See, Jesus has stepped into our world. He was one of us, right? He was born on this earth. He lived a life just like us. One of the things I love about the Christmas story is how each member experiences Jesus differently. Whether it's the shepherds or the magi or Mary and Joseph and on and on, each member experiences Jesus differently, yet it leads them to the same thing. It leads them to respond in worship. See, Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Right? This is our, our whole purpose in life, right? The Westminster Catechism says that the, the chief purpose of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is what we were created for. We were created to worship our creator. Right? Worship isn't just coming and, and singing songs at church on a Sunday morning. It's not rocking out to Jesus' music on your way to work. Worship is so much more. 
Worship is the response that we have to all that God has done. Worship is waking up each and every morning and remembering all that God has given to us, our, our, our life, the chance to be reunited with him. And it's in those moments of remembering that we choose to respond in worship, to respond by surrendering ourselves to his ways and to his plans. You see, we see this with, with each member of the Christmas story, right? The shepherds, after they encountered baby Jesus, the Bible says that they went away praising God for all that he had done. And the Magi, the Bible says, when they first saw the baby, they knelt down and worshipped him. Even Mary and Joseph with, with the manger, right? their worship was their simple act of obedience. Them saying, well, God chose us to do this, and so we're going to obey. That was their, their worship. See, when we encounter Jesus, it should lead us to worship. Or when we come into contact with the, the one who gave his life so that we could be free from our sin and that we could be reunited with him, the only thing we can do is worship. There's nothing that we can exchange. There's nothing that we can do to match what Jesus has done for us except offer ourselves. Romans 12, chapter 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, this is in view of everything that God has done, right? God had mercy on us that he sent his son to die and rise again three days later. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Right? There's nothing that we can do except surrender our lives to him. It's coming to that point that's saying, Jesus, you gave your all for me, so I give my all to you. We're going to wrap up our service this morning by simply just responding in worship. And, and I love the song that we we're about to sing. And the whole, the whole gist of this song is, is that God has created the galaxies and the universe and, and everything that we see. And really the purpose of all of those created things was worship. Right? And the, the chorus of this song says that even if all these created things will praise your name, then so will I. This is what we've been created for. And so maybe in this Christmas season, maybe this morning, we just need to pause. We just need to take a deep breath and just remember everything that God has done. In the midst of busy schedules and everything that we have to do, it's taking that time saying, man, Christmas set in motion Events that impacted my eternity. And for that, I'm going to respond in worship. So this morning, think about how are you encountering Jesus? Are you living a life of worship? Are you offering yourself as a living sacrifice to the one who gave it all for you? Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful this morning for everything that you have done for us. Lord, we know that, that we don't deserve it. 
But God, we are so thankful that you sent your son to be born in a manger, not in a palace or, or with trumpets, but that the king, the savior of the world, was born in a lowly manger, that you became like one of us for the purpose of saving us. And so this morning, Lord, may we just rest in that remembrance. And may we respond in worship that in these next couple of moments that we would just surrender our lives, that we would put aside all, all of the busy things that the world tells us comes with Christmas. And we would set those aside and we would just surrender our lives to you, that we would offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. In your son's holy name we pray, amen.